1: Here is your host, John Odermatt.
0: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the show where each and every single Friday I focus on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. We have three shows, three unique shows here our flagship program hosted by Mark Claire, where he interviews leaders in the liberty movement and hosts roundtable discussions. Actually, this upcoming Monday, we have another episode of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. You're going to be sure to want to tune into that one every Wednesday. We have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And you can get all three of these shows in your podcast feed delivered to your phone every single week by subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts these days. We really appreciate you doing that. We don't want you to miss any of this awesome content. This episode of Felony Friday is episode 110. That means you'll be able to find the show notes page with links and notes to everything that I'm going to discuss with my guests today at lionsofliberty.com FF110. Are you or someone you know facing the prospect of going to prison? Facing a federal case is an extremely stressful time, and you'll be faced with confronting a situation that is both unfamiliar and confusing. You need to contact Dan Weiss, also known as RDAP Dan, and his team of specialists to assist you with fighting for your freedom. Your attorney handles the legal aspects of your case. But your prison consultant, they help you with qualifying for sentence reduction programs, avoiding common mistakes that zap your chances of an early release, and keeping a handle on anxiety and stress during this process. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation with Dan and his team by visiting lionsofliberty.com RDAP. That's lionsofliberty.com R-D-A-P. Today my guest on Felony Friday is Lynn Espejo. Lynn was indicted on wire fraud in 2011. Those charges were summarily dismissed in 2012. She was then indicted again in 2014 of wire fraud, money laundering and tax fraud. In February of 2017 she was convicted on of all these charges by a jury and this was after the judge blocked Lynn uh, from telling the jury about the shredding of financial documents that would have shown her innocence. She was sentenced in November of 2017 to 45 months in prison, and she is to report, actually, at the end of this month. So we'll be talking about all this stuff and, and how this situation came about. Lynn, welcome to Felony Friday.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Lynn, I wish I was talking to you under under better circumstances, as I said in the intro, there um, you'll be reporting to prison the end of this month. So I just want to say, first of all, you know, thank you so much for for taking some time. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff you could be doing with your time during this last month. So thank you for taking a few moments to come on and and share with my audience.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me on and letting me tell my story. Well,
0: that's what this show is all about. Um, you know, I think you're familiar with the show, and you're a member of our. Lions of Liberty Forum. So you've seen or heard uh, some of the cases that we've had on in the past. So the reason that I have this show is to, to shine a light on our broken criminal justice system. And from what you've told me about your case, what you've shared with me, I think this is uh, absolutely 100% a prime example of injustice. So let's get started really at the beginning. Um, let's let's turn the clock back to, I guess, what was that, 2011, the first time <clears throat> you were indicted. So you could take us through what happened and what led to those charges in 2011. Uh, what, what led you to being indicted that first time?
1: Well, during 2007 to th- 2010, I worked for an eight-doctor uh, medical practice, and I was their office administrator, office manager, whatever title you want to put to it. In 2010, me, and I didn't know it at the time, but several other patients were sexually assaulted by the same doctor. He was a doctor of that group. I tried to put pressure on the other doctors to do something because I was still being made to work with this uh, doctor. And when they would not do anything, I hired an outside attorney, not to sue them, but just to try to talk with what they called their executive board and see if I couldn't put some pressure on them so that I didn't have to work with that doctor that particular doctor any longer. The day that my attorney and I went to meet with them, they didn't want to talk about the sexual assault. They wanted to accuse me of theft. And what had happened was the way that their group worked. There was one particular doctor that was considered their president. None of these doctors put their revenue into an account together, so I, I didn't have access to any of their revenues. But they did put into a zero account that I did oversee money every two weeks based on their bills, and my job was to write the payroll out. They signed it, but I was I was the one that handled getting it all together, paying their bills, and one particular doctor, the president, he had asked me beginning back so early on in 2007, if I would put personal items for him on my credit card and he reimbursed me through um, reimbursement through electronic payroll. And I was fine with that. And it started out very small at first, you know, and then it just got bigger pretty quick, actually.
0: What, and why, I was, why would he want to do that? What reason did he give you?
1: At the time there was rumors that he had a secret life and he had told me he was trying to keep his wife from knowing all his business. And, you know, that was a red flag in a way, but you know, I was making 75 a year at this job. It was an easy job. I I got a lot of benefits there. And, you know, his I kind of looked at it at the time like that's his personal business. I don't really care. Again, it was a red flag. And and I look back now and see the red flags and how I ignored them. But that was what he told me. If you want me to tell you what I feel now, I think he was probably hiding that money also from his accountant and not reporting it on his taxes, well, reporting it on his taxes, but as business expenses, not personal expenses. But at the time, it started out, You know, I didn't really think anything of it. Now, as time went on, you know, and I was still charging all this stuff, I did start to kind of wonder and I thought to myself, wow, if he ever gets caught or audited, he's going to have a lot of penalties and interest. I never thought, oh, if he ever gets audited, you know, this is tax fraud or anything. But at any rate, that's what was going on. And um, so I feel like when it came to light, you know, we had this other issue going on that they wanted to get rid of me. And they wanted to have something on me. So they accused me of, of, of the theft that day. And my lawyer and I, we went back to my office. We showed them where all their financials were. We gave them the keys to the office and I never went back to the office. I was put on leave at that time. And instead I eventually quit a few weeks, uh, later. I never heard from those doctors again. And At the time that I met with them, we had talked about, I suggested they get their CPA to do an audit because I knew once everything came to light that they would, you know, understand what was really going on with with the other doctor. So I never heard anything. This was in September, 2010, March of 2011, uh, March the 5th, actually, of 2011. I go out to my mailbox. I get a letter that said it's from the district court it was actually from what's called pretrial probation and that is something you're on when you're you know you're you have to report to when you're on indictment a federal indictment you're basically your liberties are restricted even when you haven't been found guilty or pled guilty even if you're pleading innocent You're on, you have to report, you have, they come to your house when they want. You can't have a gun in your house. I mean, you're, you're totally stripped of all your rights the minute you're indicted. But at any rate, I went out to my mailbox and I got this letter out and it literally said I had been indicted on March the 2nd, three days prior. So Hmm. I've never had any agent show up to my house. I've never been interviewed to get my side. I just go to my mailbox one day and no one's come to arrest me. And I just get out a letter that says I'm indicted. So I called the attorney that represented me on the sexual assault because, to be honest, um, when I worked for these doctors, another red flag, um, I had brought in two attorneys to show them that they were committing Medicare fraud in their billing. And both times I had sit there and watched them vote to keep billing the same way. Now, again, I told myself, I don't touch billing. I don't want to lose my job. So, you know, I turned a blind eye to the fact that, I felt that they were committing uh, start two violations of Medicare fraud. Funny thing is, when I told the government that in 2011, they told me they didn't really care. So millions of dollars of Medicare fraud was committed, but the you know U.S. Attorney's office didn't didn't really care about that.
0: When you but, say that they told you they didn't care, it, it, like how how did you tell them? Was this in your uh, when, you, when you were being interrogated, or at what point did you tell them about this Medicare? Oh, fraud?
1: I've never been interrogated, but when I was indicted. And I had to go up to the U.S. attorney's office um, with my attorney. I, literally, we told them about prescription drug fraud that I suspected, pain medicine, and that the doctors were more than likely committing me- millions of dollars worth of Medicare to start two violations. And they just looked at me and said, well, we don't care. We just want to know what plea deal you'll take to get this case off our desk, basically. So at any rate, um, I called the lawyer that, after I got the letter out of the mailbox, I called the lawyer that had represented me for the sexual assault. And I said, you know, here's what this letter says. So she, I, you know, I just immediately thought the doctors probably had been caught for Medicare fraud. And here they are blaming the office manager because I did kind of always fear that in the back of my mind that they would blame me for it or something. Say, you know, someone else did it because I watched them kind of do a few employees wrong when I was there. Again, red flags. But she looked it up and she said, Lynn, are you sitting down? And I said, no. Why? She said, you've been indicted for 57 counts of wire fraud, and they say you stole $611,000. Literally fell to the floor. Didn't know what to do. So she gave me the name of a criminal federal attorney because she didn't do that kind of work. She did employment law. I called him. He called me back. Made an appointment. This is on a Friday. Made an appointment to see him on Monday. That weekend, I go into our bank account to move. He told me I had to bring him $15,000. So I go to my savings to move $15,000 into mine and my husband's joint checking account so I could write him a check on Monday. We have zero dollars. The federal government, well, actually not the federal government, a Secret Service agent on March the 2nd had seized every dime we had to our name, $50,000.
0: So that was uh, asset forfeiture, I guess?
1: Uh, Yes. Proceeds of wire fraud, so they said even though that's not true. You know, my husband's whole month paycheck had just gone into our checking account and literally we could show where the deposits had gotten in there from. It doesn't matter what the truth is. Again, it matters what the government says you did and where that money they say it came from. So this indictment rocked on from March of 2011 until May of 2012 when the AUSA that had it dismissed it
0: what does, what does this, AUSA stand for?
1: Um, Assistant United States Attorney. So he's, a, he's at the U.S. Attorney's Office, but he's not the actual U.S. Attorney. So anyone under the U.S. Attorney, they're called Assistant U.S. Attorneys. So they're basically a government prosecutor. But when that indictment was dismissed, um, they did not give my $50,000 back. In fact, they wanted our fifty thousand dollars, regardless that they had dismissed an indictment that mirror-imaged word for word what their civil uh forfeiture said. And me and my husband both had filed claim to that money. And so they wouldn't give it back. And I was immediately told by my attorney that the um well, first of all, before that, they wanted me to take a plea deal. They offered me uh, before they dismissed it. One one week before trial, they dismissed it. But prior to that, about a month or so prior to that, they called me and my attorney up to the office and the U.S. attorney or assistant U.S. attorney there put a piece of, of uh, yellow, well, actually a whole pad of yellow legal pad down and told me just to write down anything I would plead guilty to. Now let that sink in. Just make up your own plea deal. Like what is it you will do or say you did to get this off my desk. That's and I'm like, well. So I told him I wouldn't do anything. No, we're going to trial. I didn't do this. And these doctors have shredded all their financial documents. And I'm sorry, if someone, if I thought someone stole $611,000, I certainly wouldn't shred all the evidence that there should have been a huge red flag. And not only that, the secret service um, agent and the, um, assistant United States attorney, not the one that dismissed my case, but the one that had my case prior to him that retired during my case, they had gone to a grand jury and told them I had inflated invoices. Yet there was no inflated invoices because they had all been shredded even before I was indicted. So this secret service agent eventually admitted he had never seen one shred of evidence that I had done anything. He just took these doctor's word went to the grand jury and indicted me without one shred of proof. And the way we found that out, we uh, also got sued during the first indictment. My husband and I got sued for RICO, believe it or not, by these uh, doctors. And they made such outrageous claims. My husband's a CPA. What, they does, claim- what does
0: RICO stand for? Sorry to keep interrupting.
1: Oh, that's okay. The Racketeering uh, Influence uh, Corruptions Act, I think, Basically, you know, the mob, mafia, uh, big time organized crime is what that means. And they said my husband and I were a RICO organization. And my husband's a CPA. He was devastated by all this. Um, So they basically said in their complaint, their RICO complaint, Again, their attorney later admitted he went off and just took their word and filed it, never saw a shred of evidence. But they made like outlandish claims. They said my husband was their CPA. He had never done any work for them. And there was proof of that. They had their own CPA. They said that I had stolen 500,000 sheets of paper. I'm not sure. Yes, that was what this is all was all in a civil complaint you can easily see it out there it's public record but these are the kind of outlandish things they were saying in this this RICO they wanted to get a, a TRO which is a temporary restraining order on our home so that we couldn't borrow any money to pay attorneys and it, it was just crazy the whole it was like every time we turned around our name was in the paper you know my husband it was like oh my gosh is he going to lose his job too cuz you know, when you're indicted for theft of six hundred eleven eleven thousand dollars, you're not going to get a job. I can assure you. Your name's been spread all over the paper. Especially and, when
0: you're an accountant. I mean, that's... well, and I
1: live in Arkansas. It's not like a is a common name here. Mm-hmm. So you know, <laughs> yes. And my husband, you know, being a CPA, he could have lost his license. And so the whole thing is just was crazy. But during the civil, you know, when I thought that was horrible, my husband and I did. My attorney was grinning from ear to ear because now, you know, in federal uh, criminal, believe it or not, you're fighting for your life. You're trying to prove against the federal government that you didn't do anything, yet you're not allowed to take depositions or any of the normal things you think are discovery. But because the doctor sued us civilly, we actually could put them under deposition. Um, We could do, you know, things that you couldn't do. So, of course, my husband had to get an attorney and he immediately subpoenaed them up for depositions that they immediately didn't want to take and we had to actually go to court and get them court ordered to submit to discovery, even though they're the ones that sued us. But during those civil depositions, we were able to get discovery and we were able to get a notebook from a doctor who had left that clinic during the time I worked there. And he had actually took his financial documents, the settlement statements that had the invoices that I billed them every two weeks. You know the only way money got into an account for me to pay the bills that I had any access to he had his, and I told my attorney, let me show you these will clearly prove I didn't inflate I didn't do any of the stuff the u s attorney says in this indictment in fact, some of the things they said in their indictment that they said I did in QuickBooks, which is an accounting program, QuickBooks won't even do it was crazy the stuff they kept making up and putting in all these legal documents, but at any rate um that, that indictment, um, I was offered a plea deal uh, to say that I conspired with two unnamed and unindicted doctors and that I owed the IRS $29,000 for not reporting some income, they say, that these doctors paid me to conspire with them. And, you know, I would get zero to six months jail time, but that meant they were going to ask for me to get probation. Well, I turned down that plea deal and they dismissed their indictment. Immediately, the say USA, the one that dismissed my indictment, who really was, to be honest, the only honest I felt like a USA I dealt with in this entire seven year process. He immediately told my attorney that Pat Harris, who was his boss, who was the first assistant United States Attorney in my district and still is, was telling him to reindict me immediately because they wanted that fifty thousand dollars. Well. Finally, this AUSA got ready to retire about six months after my indictment was dismissed. And he rolled all my evidence in my case, all the stuff they had down to Pat Harris's office and said, if you want her indicted, you do it. She shouldn't have been indicted to start with. I wrote a memo why and I'm not going to do this. And after that, Mr. Harris uh, kept threatening to reindict me. And I'll be honest, I started making complaints on him all the way to Washington, D.C., at one point after he did re-indict me, him and the IRS agent got caught lying in court, hiding evidence, sharing our personal tax returns.
0: What did they lie about in court? And this this is during the second indictment, right? Yes,
1: I got re-indicted again on October the 8th, 2014. So two and a half years later, I was re-indicted. Now, mind you, before I was re-indicted, Mr. Harris used a grand jury to issue subpoenas for houses, me and my husband both had owned back before we knew each other. Uh, we had We would known with our ex-spouses, ones we'd owned singly, you know, way before our marriage and way before 2007 when I worked for these doctors. He combed through our life after 2010, after I quit working for those doctors. He combed through a business I started in 2013. He combed through my mother's bank accounts. He went through our entire life trying to find something to charge me with. And he when he couldn't find anything to charge us with, he even threatened if I didn't give him the money basically and take some kind of plea deal, he would indict my husband too. He, kept, he even sent my husband a target letter to come to the grand jury saying he was under investigation. In fact, I got so many target letters um, and they kept changing what I was being uh, investigated for wire fraud, bank fraud. Uh, one time he told me um, that I was being investigated for a crime that I looked it up and it didn't even exist. And I had to tell him, sir, there's no crime out there in the U.S. statute that this is not a crime. Can you elaborate? Well, then he changed his mind. It was, it was going to be something different. And like I said, he would send my, my attorney stuff and he was investigating me for tax fraud. This was in 2012. And one of the years he was investigating me for, he told my attorney was 2012. And this is in March of 2012. And I told my attorney, I said, you do realize 2012 taxes won't be filed till next year in 2013, right? So how's he investigating me for tax fraud in a year? I've not even filed a tax return yet. It was ludicrous. he, He literally was going through my life trying to hopefully find that I had actually committed some real crime that he could charge me with. But at any rate, um, I made so many complaints on him and fought them for my money so hard. They did re-indict me. And true to their word, uh, they stuck it to me the second time. They charged me with the same wire fraud as before. They added money laundering to it because they can do that. They can say you stole money and laundered it. And then on top of that, they charged me with four counts of tax fraud for 2007 through 10 tax returns because they say You stow $611,000. You didn't report it on your tax return. Therefore, not only do you owe restitution on the money you stow, but you owe the IRS $207,000 for not filing it on your taxes. So it's crazy what they can do. But at any rate, I pled not guilty again. Uh, We started filing uh, motions with the court to have the indictment dismissed. We told the judge about the shredding of the documents. We brought that secret service up there for pretrial. This is when we caught Mr. Harris lying to the judge in court on the record. She, um, she did nothing to him. He hid evidence. That's what we caught him lying about. He hid exculpatory evidence because he hid documents. We had seen in the first indictment that proved what they said wasn't true. And he hid them notebook after notebook. These were like, eight big notebooks full of documents. So we were going to bring the AUSA up from the first indictment that had retired and that dismissed my first indictment. We had him out there waiting to be a witness in court, and he wanted to be one, actually, because he was ticked that I got indicted again. And he was going to come in there and say that Mr. Harris had that evidence. Well, when they found out he was going to come in there on what's called a 2 Uh, letter. This is something you have to send to the federal government if you want to get any agent, any, you know, anybody that's worked for the government, they have to give you permission to let them testify. So we alerted Washington, D.C. to this TUI letter. And finally, Mr. Harris admitted on record that he had those documents, that he actually the last time we had been in court for a pretrial conference, that he had actually gone back over to the U.S. Attorney's Office and pulled them out and looked at them didn't alert the judge, didn't alert us. I mean, we've been filing motions for months trying to get these documents. Nothing happened to him. The IRS agent was just as crooked as he was. His name is Jack Shortway. He um, actually shared our joint tax returns, mailed them, emailed them to a person my husband works with, with a password to look at
0: them. Why would he do that?
1: Well, they were harassing my husband's work. They they came to my husband's work so many times with subpoenas, trying to get more information on our tax returns, but we didn't, there was nothing. I mean, my husband was a W-2 employee. You know, we had a few other things on our tax return, but they were just basically harassment pur- purposes is all I can see. They were calling my husband, subpoenaing him to my trial as a witness, you know, witness to what? I'm not sure because... He never worked where I worked. Um, He knew nothing, you know, in fact, he had gone back through the first time I was indictment, all our financials, and he knew that what they said I had not done. I mean, you know, my husband would know if I had an extra $611,000 laying around. I mean, wouldn't you know that's that's pretty,
0: pretty difficult to to hide something like that. Yeah. What is it? Is it buried out in the yard or something? I mean, Uh,
1: yeah, well, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) exactly. So, you know, my husband's a forensic accountant at that. He does that for a living. And so he went back through, you know, all our financials the first time I was indicted, because to be honest, when when the government accuses someone of this, You know, it is shocking to anyone, and of course your spouse would want to know if you're telling the truth or not. It's not that he didn't believe me, but, you know, I'm not so sure if the shoe were on the other foot, I wouldn't have done the same thing. You know, you want to believe your spouse, but also, you know, at this point you're thinking, why would the government accuse, you know, my spouse of this? Because when people hear the word government and U.S. attorney and IRS People freak out even though they haven't done anything wrong. Like when these people are showing up to my husband's work and harassing his bosses and calling them to meet at the U.S. Attorney's Office, even like kind of saying, read between the lines, we're going to charge your business with something. For what? Nothing. They had done nothing wrong. But when people see other people being charged and drugged through the mud like this, people literally get scared. And they want to cooperate, even though they know nothing to cooperate about. Yeah. But again, this agent lied on the stand in pretrial. He said he didn't share our tax return. And then we put one of my husband's bosses up there. He clearly had the email that showed exactly when it was sent to him. He had the copy of the tax return. He had the password that the IRS agent had sent him to log into the tax return. So he, But the judge did nothing. I, I was in shock. Like, no, no, these people are un touchable. Yet their narrative of what I did was so far-fetched, you know, and it was being plastered all over the paper. And, you know, you're sitting there fighting for your life. That's how it feels. I know, it, I know it's not a capital crime and I'm not going to jail for the rest of my life. But regardless, you're sitting there fighting someone with unlimited resources, the federal government with their dog and pony shows, with their PowerPoint, their IRS agents. You know, they have staff that just sits there and does nothing but hands them documents and pushes slides on a PowerPoint show. Um, so anyway, that indictment rocked on. The judge would not dismiss it. She made me go to court, even though I had really nothing hardly in my defense because it had all been shredded. And um, But I was determined that justice would prevail. I thought for sure, once I got to court, a jury of my peers, another <laughs> fallacy in thinking on my part, but I thought for sure they would see the truth and I would be found innocent because I knew I was. I was offered many plea deals during this time too. The first plea deal, they said I could plead to one count of tax fraud and pay the IRS 207000 <laughs> I kind of laughed at them and told them, yeah, okay, whatever. The week of trial, even up until the day before I was found guilty, they were still offering me to plead to one count of wire fraud and say I stole 611000 So their plea deal changed over time. But even so, you know, it, it at any time, even like I said, up until the jury came back with a verdict, they were still wanting me to take a plea deal. I think because truthfully, I think they know it's not true. I think that that they know that I didn't do this. But once you're in their crosshairs, once they get you, they're not going to back off and admit they were wrong. I mean, the first indictment I looked up because that AUSA was just an honest guy. He was fixing to retire, so he didn't really it didn't really matter to him if he got more convictions. His career was winding down. But I have figured out that convictions are very important to U.S. attorneys. That's how they move up the ladder, or AUSAs, rather. That's how they move up the ladder. That's how they um, get recognition. Um, you know, the first, the first time, actually, when I was indicted and they tried to make me take that plea deal, my attorney was telling me, Lynn, you need to take it because you just don't know what, you know, they might come back after you. We don't know what they'll do because they want that $50,000. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I believed in the justice system. And, but I did tell him at that time, I said, now, if they'll give me a misdemeanor and you're telling me I'll get my money back that way, I'll take a misdemeanor. And the AUSA told us, I mean, I sit there and heard him. He said, yeah, um, U.S. Attorney Chris Thire says no misdemeanors out of this office because only felonies look good, uh, when it reports up to the DOJ. So in other words, you know, I was willing to plead to a misdemeanor just to get it over with. But no, that's not good enough. It has to be a felony conviction. Your life has to be ruined because only felonies look good on their uh, record.
0: I want to share with you all a very important service that can help you or someone you know who's going to prison. As I've documented many times on this show, sometimes even good people end up in prison. And facing a federal sentence can be an incredibly stress-filled time. If you're facing this reality, then you need to contact Dan Wise also known as RDAP Dan. I promise you that Dan and his team of prison consultants will reduce your stress level immediately after speaking with them on the phone. If you retain Dan's services, you can call him and his team any time of day or night, giving you and your loved ones open access, support, and answers. Dan and his team assist with the following aspects of the process. Narrative letters to the judge, character reference letters, RDAP qualification, prison designation, online reputation management, mindset coaching, and also additional halfway house time to shorten your time in prison. Now, don't sleep on this one, guys. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation with Dan and his team by visiting lionsofliberty.com RDAP. That's lionsofliberty.com R-D-A-P. So now, now you've been convicted. You obviously yep. sentenced your... You're going to report the end of this month. Um, wh- where do you report to?
1: Bryan, Texas Federal Prison Camp. Because I'm—I've never been in trouble before. I'm minimal security. Um, you know, after they got me convicted, though, I will tell your audience this: that wasn't even good enough for the government. They had told me if I went to trial and didn't take one of their plea deals, that they were going to try to get what's called enhancements to make me go to jail for eighteen to uh, to thirteen years. They were again true to their word, they tried to get three different enhancements. They tried to say obstructed justice. They tried to say violation of position of trust and sophisticated means. And luckily the judge did rule in my favor on those. Uh we we my attorneys and I fought those. Um and we did win. So I did, you know, and then because I had uh character reference letters that talked about my character. Um, and then I had several people that came to court, including my pastor, that spoke on my behalf the day of sentencing. I was actually given a two level on the sentencing, federal sentencing guideline variance, the judge said for my character. So she actually, I would have been serving more time on the, by the guidelines if she would not have went down two whole levels that got me down to the 4151 guideline, because I think I was looking at like 60 something months before she gave me the two level variants. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm going for 45 months, you know, you get like, oh twelve point eight eight 12.88% good time. So I'll still be serving a little bit over three years, again, for a crime that I never committed. Now, I will say this, I turned a blind eye and, and saw a lot of red flags and ignored them. So I feel like in a way, I got myself on this path by charging stuff to my credit card, turning a blind eye to what I felt my boss was doing. But, you know, and I, and I do feel like that that's where I maybe did something wrong. Well, you know, not maybe. I know I did something wrong. I shouldn't have done that. You know, was it illegal to charge something to my credit cards? No. Is it my place to police what other people report on their tax returns? Absolutely not. But moral of the story is, if you feel like someone's being shady, probably the best thing you to do is not be associated with that person and run the opposite way. So moral of the story, you know, it has been a hard lesson learned. Do I feel like I committed any kind of crime? Absolutely not. And, and you know, the thing is that none of those doctors got one after, um, except what,
0: why? For, why do you think that is, that they didn't get-
1: the one that had me charging things on my credit card, he's very politically uh, connected. I'll just leave it at that. In my state, he's politically connected. And someone he's co- politically connected to is very politically connected to Chris Thire, who was the U.S. attorney the entire time during my case. I feel like that had a lot to do with it. Uh, the one doctor that assaulted me and other patients, the one, one of the ones that I felt was abusing prescription drugs writing out you know for money because I had had some staff members tell me that he was doing that he actually is in federal prison now he actually got indicted during my second indictment and only after the local authorities here charged him because the US attorney's office was was protecting him as well i believe i really feel like mr harris was protecting him because of my case but he put illegal oxycodone on the street. Apparently, what staff had told me when I worked there that they had seen patients giving him money for prescriptions, which he always denied, but apparently it was true because he he apparently was The big name and a big indictment, there was an indictment that had already happened, but he had not been in it. And the local authorities, I think, got tired of waiting on the U.S. attorney's office to indict him because um, a young man had died from one of some of the prescriptions he had put out on the street illegally for oxycodone. And so a local sheriff's office, uh, local county indicted him or uh, charged him with drug fraud. And so after that, there was a local reporter that really doesn't like our local U.S. attorney's office because she feels that Mr. Harris is very crooked and she's not liked what he's done in multiple cases. Mine was just one of the ones she didn't like, that what was going on in. And she started hounding them about that doctor. Why was he not indicted? Well, no time later, they added him to an indictment that was already, had already been unsealed. And come to find out, he was the ringleader of it. But the U.S. Attorney's Office had somehow failed to indict him when they indicted all those other people. But they did go back and supersede it and add him to it. And, uh, but they gave him a really sweet deal. He took a plea deal. And lo and behold, they only wanted him to go to jail for eight years. He got to keep his million-dollar house. They didn't really seize anything of value. One little pickup truck and I think $100,000 they took from him. But in the big scheme of things of how much they say he put illegal drugs on the street, and they and the years they had wasn't even any of the years I worked there. They started it like several years after I worked there. And I know I know I was told it was going on when I was there. So, you know, it's it's funny how certain people get sweet deals, but people that honestly really did not know they were committing a crime. And I, I say that because since I've been going through this process, I have talked to many people out there. I've talked to people that have already been to prison and back and I've been talking to people right now. I'm helping a lady that hadn't even pled out yet. Uh, she's dealing with this similar situation. She did not do what they're accusing her of, but the big boss she works for is not being charged. She is. Um, I've talked with, with several people that, you know, um, well, for instance, you had RDAP Dan on your show not too long ago. Right. You know, his his uh, girlfriend, Shelley, granted, they were working at a, a pill mill, but they weren't the ones writing the prescriptions. He went to jail for prison for uh, drug drug fraud and he did he admits he turned a blind eye kinda like I did to some things. But his girlfriend, Shelly, she went to prison for thirteen months and she like, worked at this clinic two days during the time that they say the crime was actually going on, that they indicted them for, and she was the receptionist. So I think we're holding people accountable that, I mean, why would the receptionist be responsible for doctors writing prescription drugs out? Yeah. I, you know, it's almost like, can you even work somewhere without making sure everybody you work with may not be shady? Because if they are you know, either you're going to get charged with the crime and they're going to let the real criminals go, or they're going to indict the whole lot of people that work there, like I feel like happened probably in Dan's case. And, you know, it's crazy. But in Dan's case, I'll point out something else. If you go to trial like I did, they will stick it to you. There was a doctor in his their case that Apparently worked there a couple of days, the way my understanding is of it. He worked there a few days and he said, no, I don't feel comfortable writing these prescriptions. This is my medical license. You know, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to do this. When everyone was indicted, he fought it and went to trial. He got 11 years. The doctor that stayed there writing the prescriptions till the indictment, till they raided the place, he only got 40 something months like Dan did. And so let that sink in for a minute. The doctor that was actually there writing the prescriptions when that crime got indicted got 40, 40 something months. I I can't say for sure somewhere along in there, but the doctor that fought it, that actually left and said, Hey, I can't be associated with this with my medical license is in jail now for 11 years.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think there's, I think there's a couple of things to learn from it. You've said it all throughout this interview, but just to, sort of summarize, I mean, the one, the one key theme, and this is key theme in, in Dan's case and Holly Kuhlman's case, who's been on this show, which is sort of similar, I mean, is the federal prosecutors do not care about the truth. They care about getting either a plea deal and you know getting, getting that felony, as, as you said. They don't care about getting to the truth of exactly what happened, if anything at all did happen, if a crime even did occur. They just care about getting, getting the years. And they always overcharge. They overcharge in order to get that plea deal. And if you fight them, and if you're innocent, you're more likely to fight them because, right, you didn't do anything wrong. So you know, I didn't do anything wrong, so I'll just trust the justice system, and then I can win. But unfortunately, as, as you've learned and so many have learned, a lot of times you can't win. It, it doesn't matter. Jury, I mean,
1: a jury is not a jury of your peers. I sit there. The I went through an eight day jury trial. By the way, I sit there the first day and watch the U.S. AUSA's, the U.S. Attorney's Office, vote off anyone with financial experience, any bookkeeper, any accountant, anybody. And you would think since my crime was considered a financial crime, you know, supposedly I stole all this money and you know was was working there doing wire fraud. Why, if you thought the person you've accused of wire fraud, um, you know, a financial crime, if you really believed in your case, why would you feel the need to vote off anybody that might actually see through your case? Wouldn't you want those people on the jury to convict your this criminal you're trying to get put in jail if you really believe that you had a case, a financial case against this person? It makes no sense. Yeah, it, it. And, and again, they put on such a dog and pony show. There was some of those days that I sit there, like when the IRS was on the agent was on the stand, I sit there and literally thought to myself, if I didn't know the truth, I might believe what they're saying that I did because they put on PowerPoint. It's so convincing. The first day of trial, I was appalled at this. Um, they packed the courtroom. You know, I'm over there, me and my little attorneys, you know, we don't even have a Um, an expert witness, nothing. I mean, we're just over there trying our best, you know, by the time you get to a second indictment, you're financially drained, drained, even though, you know, but I don't really, I didn't really qualify for public defender because, you know, my husband had a good job, but you're financially drained and you're just trying to, you know, get whoever you can at that point to go with you to trial. And they're over there. They pack the courtroom with all the other AUSAs that come in there and, you know, give a big show. And they get up there and give their opening statements. And then they're back there high-fiving each other. And I'm like, really? Is this appropriate in front of a jury? Like, this is not a baseball game. This is my life. You know, you didn't just make a home run. You're trying to put me in prison for something I didn't do. And you're over there high-fiving? it was the whole system is actual
0: high fives in the court. Yes.
1: High fives. Yes. Yes. As if, and I'm talking, you know, basically they were high fiving each other, all their little people that came in there, you know, from their office because they were basically saying, yes, you nailed it. You gave a great opening statement. And we're just sitting over there at the, you know, you're sitting over there, you don't, (laughs) you're just, it's disbelief. Like I, I literally, I could, it, it just I was in shock. The whole system is broke and needs revamping. And, you know, I hope President Trump steps up. You know, you would think after Jared Kushner's dad has been through this, that they may actually, you know, try to do some reform. But to be honest, I, I don't believe it for a minute. I mean really the if you ever go and read this is another thing that if you ever go and read anyone that's accused of anything in this country go read some of the comments under articles I mean they're wanting to hang people at the courthouse square before they even have a trial the whole the whole just the, the whole country people have no empathy compassion they don't even stop to think wait a minute, this could happen to my family. Wait a minute, what if this person really didn't do this? The minute someone sees the word indictment or arrested, it's like, why are we having trials? Hang them at the courthouse square. Let's get a firing squad.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you bring that up because that is a a big problem in our society. And I've had this conversation with friends and family, even my wife recently. There's one story that sticks out to me. There was a uh, a teacher that I had in high school that I I saw in the paper recently that he had been charged with the crime, some sort of you know theft of funds from the school or something like that. And my wife said something like, "Oh wow, I, I bet you didn't know that teacher you know was a criminal." I'm like, "All I know is that he was charged with a crime and he you know turned himself into police." I don't know if, if he, what you're not going to run from police, of course.
1: You're well, exactly. Terms- I've been I out mean- of pretrial release. Think about this. I've had my liberties. Uh, basically taken from me almost since March of 2011. Now, there was a little two-and-a-half-year break there when I wasn't indicted. But I had them for 14 months. My liberties were restricted. They've been restricted again now since October 2014. I have now been convicted since February the 8th of 2017, and I'm just now going to go to prison for it. But this entire time, I have had to get my passport up, I can't have a gun in my home, even before I was convicted. My husband can't have a gun in our home. Not that we're gun people, but what if we were? I mean, you know, you have to submit to drug and alcohol tests if they want to. Fortunately, they've never really bothered me with that. But they can come to your house anytime they want. They can go through anything in your house, your closets, your drawers. They can look through all your possessions. They have not done that to me. Let me just say I've had very good, nice people with at the pre-trial, uh, but that is, they can do that. They do show up at your house. I had one guy that um, came to my house at seven 30 on a Saturday morning to do a walkthrough because they can, he was nice. He's not been mean to me. I've not had any issues when I've asked to travel to go, you know, out of the state, I've been allowed every time without question. And I, I've been allowed to check in this time online, you know, just like going and log in once a month and say, "Hey, I'm still at my house," by the way. But th- but the point is, your restriction, you're restricted. Your liberties have already been taken and you're not even found guilty yet. That, that shouldn't that's be That's
0: unbelievable. I, I didn't know about the part where just to, just pre-trial, you can't have a gun at your house anymore. Nope. I mean, that's
1: if you're on a prescription, you have to let them know what it is. So when, if you go to your doctor and your doctor gives you drugs, you have to take a picture of it and text it to them and tell them you're on that drug. If you get stopped by the police, like for speeding, or if you call the police to your house because someone maybe peeping Tom or you thought you heard something outside, you have to let your pretrial probation person know, hey, by the way, I had to talk with the police last night. I called them to my house because someone knocked on our door at 2 a.m. Or, or, you know, someone broke in my house or whatever the case is. Or I got stopped and got a speeding ticket or I got stopped and got a warning ticket. Anything like that, you have to call them immediately and tell them you've had law enforcement contact. Really? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And and not only are you punished, your family's punished. Because what if I had, you know, a big hunter husband? I don't, but a lot of people do hunt. I live in Arkansas. You know, what if my husband was a big hunter? Well, not only during pre-trial could he not have had guns, but of course now I'm a convicted felon. So if he wants his wife to continue to live in his home, he can never have a gun again. Well, for,
0: yeah, for, forget about that. Forget about hunting. If somebody breaks in your house and tries to steal from you, you can't defend yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I, th- I, mean, I think the hunting thing is. I mean, yeah, the, the, that sucks. But I mean, more than that, yeah, you've lost your right to defend yourself Le- legally. At least that right has been taken away. Your Second Amendment right has been uh, taken before away before you're you. even and, found
1: guilty, though.
0: Right. Without without even being found guilty of anything, it's, it's incredible. That's what a country. You know, a lot of people wouldn't even wouldn't even believe something like this until they hear from someone like yourself going through, it, which is why you know, I'm so happy you agreed to come on this show, Lynn. And I want to thank you for, once again, for giving your time. We're almost out of time here today. Uh, before I let you go, one more question. If you could give advice to someone who's going through a, a very similar situation, just some, uh, you know, some, some short, quick advice. What, what's, what's the best way to react? Uh, what's, what's the best path um, if one of our listeners ever finds himself uh, facing federal charges?
1: As sad as it may sound, don't fight them. Take whatever the best plea deal, the first one you get is probably going to be the best. Do not hire and pay a high-powered attorney. They're not going to do you any good. Public defenders, just as good if you can get one. And if you really want someone to help you, hire one of the good prison consultants out there that your attorney's going to tell you are quacks. That's not true. I've gotten more help from prison consultants except for the one that, that is unethical, and that would be RDAP Law Consulting. But um, I hired what's, them and had to What's RDAP
0: fire. Law Consulting?
1: Whew, those people are scams. The in and of their self, you don't want to. You don't want to use them. But there's a lot of other ones out there. There's RDAP Dan. There's p- prison professors. Mm-hmm. There's Larry Levine and Holly. I mean, you've got
0: RDAP, RDAP Dan is a sponsor of this show, so people are should be familiar with uh, with RDAP Dan.
1: Yeah, he puts out good videos. And then the, you know, there's Patrick Boyce. There's a lot of good names out there. They. Those are the people that I have gotten the most help from. I wish I would have hired one in my case sooner, but do not spend your money on a high powered attorney because I can tell you they're not going to go to trial. They're going to try to get you to take a plea deal. And if you get to trial with them, they can't fight the federal government. They're not equipped. And, you know, so you're better off with a public defender. As sad as that sounds, you're better off, you know, trying to get the best plea deal possible right up front. Do not make the government mad. Do not fight them because in the long run the truth does not matter the truth is what the the US attorney says the truth is
0: That is unfortunate Lynn uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show and wish you the the best of luck going forward uh, reporting to prison um we'll have to keep in touch and and have you back on the show uh when you get out hopefully you don't have to have to serve that full uh what is it 40
1: 45 months 45 you, you months. do in federal yeah. You have to serve it all, except for they give you roughly 12.88% good time.
0: Okay. Well, best of luck, Lynn. And um, hopefully, you know, you're able to uh, somehow turn this whole experience, this whole mess into a positive event.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, John. I plan on writing a book about it. So (laughs) look for that to come out.
0: All right. Bye now. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to today's show. I really do appreciate it. I also just want to make a special thanks again to Lynn Espejo for taking some time out, especially right now right before she reports to go into prison the end of this month. Um, I know that she's very obviously passionate about this topic being as it has had such a huge negative impact on her life and you know, I'm happy that she was able to, you know, get a platform here to share about the injustice that she' suffered, I feel absolutely terrible that she's going to be spending 45 months in prison. We will keep uh, keep you guys informed of Lynn's status and uh, give you updates and hopefully she does come through and write that book and we'll have her back on the show in a few years to give us an update on everything that's transpired in her case. So, you know it's it's amazing the things that people go through what federal prosecutors, what the federal government puts people through. You know, I think Lynn put it really well. She obviously has maintained her innocence, but even if she had done this, it wouldn't make any sense to lock her away in prison when she has this immense, tremendous $600,000 plus restitution she has to pay. It makes no sense to lock someone like that away and they're not even able to work. And on top of that, you're damaging uh, you know their future career aspirations business aspirations by tarnishing uh, their image and making it harder for them to earn that money to to make the repayment so it makes zero sense it's 100% backwards and it's just a really sad situation and it is so sad to cuz i see this all the time guys i mean you guys get to see, get to hear about a lot of these stories but i get many more in my inbox uh, that i hear about all the time just too many To uh, to bring on the show, and it's it's hard to after seeing so much of this stuff, it's hard to really know what to do or or know what to say. It's sort of a, a hopeless situation. All all I can keep doing is continue to produce this podcast, continue to put it out there, and I'm really counting on you all to share this, share it with your friends, your networks, get it out there, guys, because most people have no idea. That this is the way things work. Most people have no idea. People still trust the justice system. They think if, as long as they're innocent, truth will prevail and they will be set free. But, oh, that is not the case at all. That is certainly not the case. The federal government, the federal prosecutors will overcharge you and they will get a conviction if you don't uh, succumb to a plea deal. That's the world we live in right now and that's reality. And that's one of the reasons why I reached out to RDAP Dan Prison Consultants, and I wanted to to bring them on the show as a sponsor to give uh, you know people because we do have a lot of people who are facing tough situations like this, who are facing jail time, who are facing federal cases. I wanted to give them the opportunity, somebody that I trust, Dan Wise. I wanted to uh, you know give you guys the the chance to to work with him and hopefully maybe get out of prison a little bit sooner and mitigate against having a, a really, really difficult sentence. So also, definitely check out Dan Wise's YouTube videos. He has an outstanding YouTube channel. Uh, you can find that on our RDAP Dan page, com slash RDAP. can link to uh, his YouTube channel there and check it out. Other than that, guys, that's all I have. Join the pride. Uh, I think I've said it so many times. I've been posting in the Lions of Liberty forum that we are trying to get to a goal at the end of this month to be at at a thousand dollars in monthly subscriptions in our pride. That's going to allow us to start to step our game up and start to go to some of these libertarian events across the nation this year. And we really want to be able to do this. Um, we're about a hundred and maybe seventy bucks away from doing that, something like that. So. We need more people, guys. We are starting a new level of the pride. Uh, We have our $5 level, the lowest, where you get the bonus content. $10, you get the bonus content. And you get some free merchandise, a a t-shirt, a koozie. We are adding a $15 level. Now, the $15 level um, is going to be the same as $10. You get everything up to $10, plus you're going to be subscribed to emails, uh, daily emails from our own Howie Snowden. Howie Snowden is the Lions of Liberty uh, head head of email communications. He sends us out um, all of the news articles that we read give us a lot of the ideas for stuff we talk about on our shows. That's all Howie. You will get those same news items in your inbox um, for 15 bucks a month. So, now, everyone who subscribed to $25, obviously, will get the, the email news as well, which is awesome. Plus, they get the monthly conference call, the free merchandise, and the bonus content. That's all I got, guys. I want to thank you so much for listening. Join the pride dot com slash support. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up in the fires of Liberty burn.